as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I am Andy Wilson, aka Citizen Bot, also a Big Shiny Robot. And we're here this week to talk to you about two movies, uh, The Visit and the rom-com Sleeping with Other People. Uh, but just a quick reminder, uh, at the end of the podcast, after you get done with everything, um, stick around because Andy got a chance to interview Leslie Headland, the director of Sleeping with Other People. And we'd love for you to check it out and hear what she has to say. Uh, I got to listen to her and see the movie at Sundance. So she's a charming woman. She's really witty. And we really think you'll enjoy uh, hearing what she has to say about not just her movie, but, you know, politically incorrect movies in general. I guess and we this, could out there. This was a really fun interview, too. And she's just absolutely wonderful. So you want to stick around and hear that. Um, what isn't fun, however, uh, was the visit. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> we can segue. Um, so the visit is the newest horror suspense film from uh, M. Night Shyamalan who, as we know, uh, had a really promising career. You know, a lot of people know him from Sixth Sense. I still say that Unbreakable is his best movie he's ever made. Agreed. Uh, Signs was pretty good. It you know, had a weak ending. And then it just kind of went downhill from there. And uh, it's to the point now that when he's making a movie, the studio normally doesn't even attach his name to it because they're afraid people won't go see it. A uh, perfect example uh, was After Earth, the Will Smith takes his kid to work movie. Uh if I didn't even know until the moment the movie came out that actually he was involved because his name was nowhere to be seen. It wasn't on the poster except in very, very, very small print. Uh, it wasn't in the trailer, so they just they kind of run and hide, which makes one wonder why he's still making movies. And the, he's made one of the worst movies of the last 10 years, too, the Avatar, the yeah. last Airbender movie. Ugh, it was terrible. Oh, yeah, it was dog-awful. Uh, so there was some hope, though, because... The Visit kind of plays into the suspense horror-type movies that he's kind of made a name for himself for. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, well, to sum up, we have two teenagers, uh, Becca and Tyler. Becca's played by Olivia DeJong, and Tyler is Ed Oxenbold, who you might have known as Alexander from Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Aww. Yeah. Uh, they and their mom have... Her mom, their mom moved away from home when she was 19 under kind of bad circumstances, so uh, after being estranged for so many years, these kids don't know their grandparents. They've never met them, they've never talked to them, they know they exist, but that's about it. So, one day, uh, the grandparents reach out and kind of say, hey, we want to get to know you better, uh, we know things kind of went bad, but you know, can we kind of make amends? So, mom is going on vacation with her brand new boyfriend, and thinks, oh, hey, let's ship the kids off to grandparents' house, it'll be a way for them to bond, and I can go off and have nookie time with boyfriend and feel fine about it. So, kids get shipped off. Uh, the daughter, Becca, uh, she is a film lover. She's documenting the whole thing, and this is how the whole found footage thing comes into play. So, she's with the camera the whole time, and her younger brother, Tyler, is a rapper and is precocious and kind of annoying and goes on and on about getting bitches. That's kind wait, of his persona. Wait, he's, he's a rapper? He wants to be a rapper. He has a 14-year-old white boy trying to be like N.W.A. Okay, go on. <laughs> and that's not the worst part of the movie. Uh, so there's certain points where she gives him a camera, so they both got these cameras they're playing around with. Well, they get off the train, and they meet Nana and Pop-Pop. Uh, Nana's played by Deanna Dunnigan, who is absolutely fantastic. She's the best part of this movie. And Pop-Pop is Peter McRobbie, who's pretty good as well. He's, he kind of hangs out in the background more and more. Um, they're really nice. They, they, they're warm. They're gentle. They like the kids. They're you know, a little bit older and peculiar and haven't been around children for a while. So they're a little bit awkward in their attempts to, you know, be nice and do things, but things are going pretty well until, you know, the first night they're going to bed and pop pops like, Oh, well it's nine 30. We're going to bed. Cause you know, we old people. <laughs> so yeah, they go to bed and all of a sudden they start hearing these weird noises, like just bleh, like strange things happening. So kids being kids, they wander outside and look downstairs and Nana's walking around in a nightgown just, like, throwing up everywhere. And so it freaks them out, and they go back in their rooms, and think maybe she was just sick. She seemed fine the next day. Well, the second night, they hear these weird, like, scuttling sounds. So they open the door, and Nana's running around naked, scratching at the walls. 
So they're kind of freaked out. So they go and they say, they talk to Pop Pop. And he's like, oh, no, Nana's fine. She has this condition called sundowning, which means whenever the sun goes down, she's kind of like, acts kind of weird. It's a psychological ailment. It's kind of like sleepwalking. Just, you know, after you go to bed, stay in your room. So Becca takes it at face value and goes with it. Um, and Tyler's, he's kind of weirded out because Pop Pop's acting weird. He keeps on like, going to the shed and hiding things in there. And it just, they start acting weirder and weirder and weirder. And things kind of come to a head when Nana, Nana gets violent later. And the kids realize that these people are probably going to kill them. So they have to get out of there and, you know, wackiness ensues. It sounds cool. Like, trust me, that's a really, really cool premise. The problem is, M. Night Shyamalan doesn't know what to do with this movie. Uh, apparently, he filmed multiple versions of it. He filmed one that was a horror version. He filmed one that was a comedy. And then spliced the two together. Because there's parts that are supposed to be funny. And parts that are supposed to be scary. And none of it works. Uh, the worst part is, is filming with found footage. Is, you know, he doesn't know how to use it properly. You know, horror movies have certain tricks. When someone looks in the mirror in the bathroom opens the cupboard up, and then closes it, we expect something to pop up behind it. That's like one of the oldest tropes in horror movies. That's the whole movie. You know, he'll, someone will be looking with a camera and pan over to the right, nothing there, and then go left. And then when they go right again, we know something's going to be there. And sure enough, it pops out and it's supposed to scare us. Uh, it just it doesn't. It's it's not scary at all. This being M.I. Shyamalan, we have to have a twist. There's always a twist. And it's a cool twist if we wouldn't have guessed it five minutes into the movie. Uh, it's telegraphed so strongly that there, there's no trail of breadcrumbs to go after. The whole loaf is lying in front of you. So if you look down, you're going to pick it up and you'll just be annoyed by it. Uh, there's a message because then my Shaman has to have a message. And it's actually a good message. It's about letting go of the past. Uh, stop, you know, don't hate people. Give up your anger. A very Jedi type message. And that's really cool too. Except for the fact that the last two minutes of the movie, the mom is hugging the kids because, of course, the kids get away. Is it has to have a happy ending? And spoiler. literally, yeah, literally tell. I don't really care if I spoil it. You know, it's, <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> she literally is hugging the children and says, "Give up your anger. Don't hold on to the past." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we've we've gone from a horror movie to an after-school special and a bad after-school special at that. Uh, there's, yeah, it's. It's just frustrating because it's such a good idea and there's so much cool stuff that could have been done in the hands of a talented director that could have made this movie a great film and scary and suspenseful, but it's not. There's there's no atmosphere because he doesn't know how to use sound footage. He telegraphs everything he's doing. And if it wasn't for uh, Nana, uh, what's the actress's name? Crap. Uh, Deanna Dunnigan, her role, because she goes from being this sweet, kindly grandmother to this crazy person either a split second or you know kind of a slow burn leading up to it if it wasn't for her the movie would be a waste uh it's not the worst thing in the world but it's not the best or even mediocre uh, i'm at a four and now we know and knowing's half the battle that sounds terrible i'm sorry uh although it i always hope with m night Shyamalan because he's not untalented he's not a completely talentless hack like someone like you a ball or uh michael bay yeah i know going in it's just going to be a schlock fest and it's going to be terrible he's made good things he's made thoughtful things and i just don't know like where things went wrong and uh why he can't seem to put it together again it would be like if if paul mccartney like suddenly forgot how to be able to write good songs or something. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's just, I don't know. It's just I, I think with him, he just, he rose so fast and became so popular and so almost revered at first for Sixth Sense and Unbreakable yeah. that he had the Justin Bieber syndrome. He got too full of himself and thought he could do anything because in Lady in the Lake, he literally becomes Christ. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that's what led to his downfall was that he had he was surrounded by yes men uh no one was willing to sell, say no to him or if they did he didn't care and kind of fell off the bridge that way because this movie actually once the twist happens about 60 minutes in it really starts to get good you know that's that's it starts to get more suspenseful 
when things are kind of going to hell and you figure everything out, but it's not worth sitting through two thirds of a movie for just one decent hat last act. Mm. So, and then a horrible schlocky ending. It sounds like, Oh God. Yeah. It's, I, I know some people liked it. Uh, some people thought, Oh, well he's making fun of the genre. He's making fun of himself. You can think that all you want, but no, he's just not talented. <laughs> That's really too bad. What, however, isn't too bad. And speaking of taking a genre and turning it on its head and making fun of itself is sleeping with other people, which yes. you saw earlier this year at Sundance. And then I got a chance to see just a little while ago. Um, this movie is in very limited release right now. So be looking and seeing if it's uh, available in a theater near you. It's got one of those kind of gradual releases where over the next three, four weeks, it's going to be expanding to different cities. So check it out. It might not be in theaters for very long, um, but when you do, or when when it does come to a theater near you, you want to see this. Yes, I am so excited this movie finally is coming out. This is absolutely great. Sleeping with Other People stars Allison Brie, who you may remember from Community, as Lainey, and Jason Sudeikis, who you may remember from Saturday Night Live and some other terrible movies, as Jake. And um, Lainey and Jake met each other in college and actually awkwardly lost uh, their virginity to one another. (laughs) On a roof. (laughs) Yeah, on a roof. (laughs) And uh, a number of years later... Uh, they meet one another at a Sexaholics Anonymous meeting uh, (laughs) where they're both there for uh, different reasons. Jason Sudeikis does have a very real problem with monogamy. He sleeps with anything that moves. And Alison Brie has kind of the opposite problem. Uh, She has a long-term boyfriend, almost fiancé, to whom she admits that she's been carrying on a long-term affair and uh, can't stop sleeping with that guy uh, who is a, a gynecologist played by <laughs> Adam Scott. Oh, he's um, hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is also a guy that she's been running after ever since college. So um, there's some really bad psychological problems that the two of them have. And uh, what they end up doing is forming this really strange friendship But knowing that they have these problems with intimacy, uh, they decide they're going to nip it in the bud. The two of them are not going to fall for one another. And they're going to talk to one another about their sex lives and what's going on and what they're feeling like. But if the tension ever gets too strong, (laughs) they've got a safe word. And they're just going to say, oh, mousetrap. Mousetrap. (laughs) Mousetrap. And the word mousetrap comes up many, many, many times in this movie for things like, oh, I'm going to take you lingerie shopping with me. Mousetrap. Oh, oh, mousetrap. (laughs) Oh, major mousetrap. And they're just generally kind of, they're not horrible people, but they're kind of horrible people. (laughs) But you like them. You want to like them. (laughs) You really do end up liking them. But, like, uh, Jason Sudeikis has a business partner and they show up to his kid's birthday party, and they're both on Molly. And it's like, who does that? That's terrible. Although that leads to um, my favorite scene in the movie, Mousetrap, of uh, Alice and Brie uh, dancing suggestively to David Bowie's Modern Love, which, yes. oh my gosh, that was... Like, I had fallen in love with this movie before then, but then... Uh, I hear that that initial uh, I don't want to go out. I want this. And I'm like, oh my gosh. It's David Bowie's Modern Love. <laughs> I love this movie so much. <laughs> um, th- th- this movie knows exactly what it's doing. And it's really, really, really funny. Um, when we first started talking about this movie together, Adam, we were talking about it in context of Trainwreck. And yes. How we really liked Trainwreck, but there were things that it was missing. And you kept saying, I wish that you had seen Sleeping with Other People so we could talk about how much better of a movie it was than Trainwreck. Yeah, which wasn't talking crap on Trainwreck, because I think we both liked it a lot. 
it's just this movie. Uh, Leslie Headland, who wrote and directed it, she was she's strong enough of a writer who's done this before to kind of not fall into the tropes that uh, Trainwreck did. Yeah, and th- this was just it was really funny. It was really heartfelt. It kind of felt like a modern version of when Harry met Sally. Like we're we're exploring can these two people who do have some sort of attraction towards each other be just friends uh and there's a lot of weird stuff that goes down between them and they're they're very obviously in love with one another in one sense but they just can't be together and so there is that kind of tragic romance uh element it's like wuthering heights in 2015 um, but for all the different reasons, not not class reasons mm-hmm. or something like that. It's just, uh, you know, these are two very screwed up people and um, it's going to be hard for them to make it work with one another. Uh, but uh, it was just amazing, amazing performances, really, really funny, wildly inappropriate. And oh, uh, yeah, yeah, really inappropriate. <laughs> Uh, there were there were things in here that you really made me blush. Uh, that that scene with the bottle. You will never look at a bottle of iced tea the same ever again. <laughs> oh, no, I won't. Mousetrap. Mousetrap. Oh. Uh, the, the dirty DJ. <laughs> Mousetrap. <laughs> um, yeah, this... Uh... It was actually kind of funny you mentioned when Harry met Sally because when Leslie Headland came out at Sundance to discuss the movie, uh, she said, this is basically when Harry met Sally for a-holes. Ah. <laughs> and it, it, you you really can't sum this movie up any better. Uh, it's The great thing is Alison Brie and Jason Sudeikis have wonderful chemistry together. You can see these people who you know really do become friends because they act that naturally with each other. And it actually accomplished something for me I never thought would happen. I genuinely liked... Jason Sudeikis after this movie or in this movie, uh, yeah. he's been in. He has annoyed the hell out of me. Like I love horrible bosses. Hated him in it. I wanted just to punch him. He's so smarmy and full of himself. And and I know it's the characters he's playing, but I've just never been a fan. But this movie, she made him likable. Uh, kind of the person you want to chill with after you know a game on Sunday and maybe drink a beer or something like that. He was really genuine and came through as an actual person and not a caricature of this horny frat boy who's going around and sleeping with people. Yeah, and it, this should have been someone who we really should have hated, and I completely agree with you. Like, I think about We're the Millers, and I just, I hated that movie. Oh, yeah. And or- he was not good in it, and he, whenever he was on Saturday Night Live, it's like, okay, this guy's funny, but he's just kind of there. And, you know, I was always like, bring on more Andy Samberg and Bill Hader. And um, so I was never that impressed with him. And I was like, really, Jason Sudeikis? And it's like, no, this was beautiful and awesome. And, and which is funny because it's exactly the opposite for me with Alison Brie, who I love her so much. And like the character of Annie, like, I just want to like, take Annie and like be spirited <laughs> away to a magical kingdom with her and be like, oh, let's let's go be crazy together. <laughs> this is beautiful. So, yeah, they, they play off each other well. It's really funny. Uh, we're not kidding when we say this is a hard R comedy. And Oh, yeah. Like, like I've always said, I love it when a movie that's, that's trying to be a raunchy comedy fully follows through with that and isn't afraid to say dirty things or you know, be what it wants to be, you know, and it unabashedly does, does says horrible things. So don't take the kids, of course, because this is not for them, but it's, it, it's, it's filthy. It's funny. Uh, the, the great thing too, is that if you go back and watch it, actually go back and watch it again, which I need to as well, because after uh, we saw it at Sundance, Leslie Headland came out and one of the questions was, Hey, I saw the way you filmed this shot. It was set up a lot like a Hitchcock film. I can't remember if it was Vertigo or uh, North by Northwest, something like that. And she's like, did you mean to do that? And she's like, yes, I'm so glad you pointed that out. She's like, I'm a huge film nut. I love movies. I watch them all the time, over and over again. 
and I really wanted to showcase my love of film in here. So if you go back and watch it, you'll see scenes that are shot and set up like Hitchcock and Jaws and Spielberg from Close Encounters and other stuff. So this is one, if you're going into it for the first time, keep an eye out for that because if you're a film buff, you'll definitely find these things. And if you're not, well, or if you've already seen it, want to go see it again, um, it's kind of cool for some Easter eggs. So I'm excited to go back and watch it again because you saw it more recently than I did. And unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to screen it. But the only the only problem I have with this movie, uh, and I'm not going to say anything because it's, it's the end of the movie, is you know rom-coms, we know how they're going to play out. And I was really, really hoping the way they were kind of turning the corner on this was that it was going to go its own way and do something different. And it kind of did and kind of didn't. So... I can't really give it. I can't really take too many points away for following the genre the way it's always been. Uh, but it would have been kind of cool if she would have done things a little bit different than she did. Yeah, I I feel iffy about the ending, but I'm okay with it because I oh, feel me too. Like, I I feel like if if Leslie Headland was trying to say something, she this was the story she wanted to tell. Like this was her movie. She was in control of it. And she wanted that ending to say that thing, and so I'm okay with it. Um, even though, yeah, I would have, I would have liked to maybe have seen it happen another way. And oh, we're being so vague. This is awful. It's hard to talk about this movie in a non-spoiler <laughs> way, especially the the ending. Um, but it is just absolutely wonderful, and uh, the the performances, the way it's shot. Uh, she she really does pay homage to a lot of her different influences, and mm-hmm. it's, it's just great. Yeah, so I'm a solid 8.5 out of 10. I loved it. I can't wait to go see it again. I can't wait to buy it. Uh, it's one I just want to go and watch over and over and over. Yeah, I'm at a I'm at a nine out of 10. Um, this is this is one of my top five favorite movies of the year, uh, absolutely at this point. So. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, we've had a lot of other great movies and, you know, maybe Star Wars can knock it out of the top five. Maybe, maybe some other things can, but, um, it's, it's going to be tough. It's right up there with Mad Max and, and Ex Machina, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and we'll talk about it more next week, but I think the one that's going to give a lot of movies a run for their money is Black Mass. That just looks fantastic. We'll see. I, I don't know. I I've been iffy about Johnny Depp lately. I think he's been more hit and miss, and um, that looks like it could be really good. But we'll we'll see. I'll I'm I'm definitely interested in what yeah. I think about it. One of the best things about uh, about sleeping with other people is it doesn't pull any punches and it's not afraid to be completely politically incorrect and do really (laughs) no no it has no fear there whatsoever absolutely not and you know adam and i we got into a conversation uh with with brian young and several other people earlier this week about political correctness and there seems to be this ongoing conversation about have we become too PC? Uh, you know, uh, people, feminists and uh, the cultural sensitivity police are trying to take all of our fun things away. And Mel Brooks came out a few weeks ago and said, like, I don't know if I tried to make Blazing Saddles today, if I could ever get it made. And it's like, yeah, you know, I think political correctness is a... I don't know. I think it's I think it's something that people tried to hide behind for being lazy. I don't worry. I don't or, or maybe not lazy, being unimaginative. I don't think the PC police are coming after Louis CK or Bill Maher or any of these other people. Um they're going after hacks who are doing things that are really truly offensive and that aren't thoughtful. Um so you know, I'm I'm more of a fan of like going after people for bad comedy than mm-hmm. for uh, that like <laughs> your, your comedy oppresses my people. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's a there's a difference between Hannibal Burris talking about Bill Cosby and uh, a dude bro making a casual rape joke. 
um, that's those are totally different things and totally different contexts. And one of the things that we were talking about was that it becomes very hard to create a sacred cow in terms of content. Like you should not make jokes about the Holocaust. You should not make jokes about rape. You should not make jokes about uh, my religion. Uh, because everyone has their own little bugaboos that are going to be very offensive to them if you make fun of them. Like mm -hmm. for me, uh, I go and watch the Book of Mormon musical. I think that is incredibly funny. Um, if I go to church on Sunday and I started talking to people about the Book of Mormon musical, people in my ward would go crazy about how offensive that is to them. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think my wife would probably feel very <laughs> offended by a lot of the jokes of the Book of Mormon musical. That's fine. We're all allowed to be offended uh, by things. Um, but sometimes the best comedy is really, truly offensive. And so we wanted to, for our recommendations this week, talk about political correctness and, uh, really politically incorrect movies and uh, that we think you should watch even though they're going to offend you. So, Adam, what did what did you decide to go with? Well, it's kind of interesting. The movie I chose uh, was Team America World Police. And it's interesting because one of the points I brought up in the conversation we were having earlier this week about having a comedy, you know, sacred cow with comedy was a quote by either uh, Trey Parker or Mastone. I, I don't remember who it was. The summation of the quote was, people always ask them, you know, hey, is there something you can't make fun of on South Park? Is there something that just goes too far? And he's like, no. He's like, because if you have a sacred cow in comedy, if there's something that's too holy that you're too special that you can't touch, then we become the racist, the sexist, the homophobes, all the horrible things you're saying about us because, oh, it's okay to make fun of that because that doesn't count and this does. And to be fair, they've, they've made fun of everything. Uh, you know, they've, back before anyone knew really what's going on they showed muhammad on an episode <laughs> and, and, yeah. and south park won't you know i mean uh, comedy central won't rerun that anymore uh same thing with the scientology episode uh they you know any any religion uh homosexuality feminism uh cisgender people transgender people everything you can possibly imagine they've poked fun at uh mainly to bring light to bigger issues and for me team america world police really it, it hits that wonderful line of cynical satirism perfectly because you know, the story for those who haven't seen it, and I'm sure a lot of you haven't, is it's after 9-11 and you know, America's going, there's a team of superheroes, not super, well, special agents we'll say, from America are going all over the world trying to get rid of terrorists and you know, keep the world safe so they're policing the world, much like we were doing after 9-11. Uh, the problem is they're really, really bad at their jobs. <laughs> the opening scene, they go to Paris to you know find the, the weapon of mass destruction, and they end up killing the terrorists uh, only after destroying all of Paris and knocking over the Eiffel Tower and just killing hundreds and thousands of people. Uh, oh, and mind you, this whole thing is done with marionettes. So the whole idea of being controlled by puppet strings literally happens in this movie. So they're all over the place doing horrible things. And of course, liberal Hollywood, you know, uh, Matt Damon and Susan Sarandon, uh, and Sean Penn, they're all over there, you know, saying, oh, no, we need to stop them. You know, this is horrible, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're members of the Film Actors Guild. I'll let you put that one together. <laughs> uh, and on the opposite side of all the stuff, so the other story is you've got Kim Jong-il Kim Jong is trying to get the weapon of mass destruction to take over the world. Uh, the real Kim Jong-il was so pissed about this movie he actually uh, put a bounty on Trey Parker and Matt Stone's heads. So, uh, obviously, it affected him somewhat. But the movie is all about, you know, these, mainly the Film Actors Guild, the Hollywood elitists, and, you know, the Team America, World Police, which are the redneck right-wing Republicans for the most part, you know, arguing over who's right and who's wrong, and rah, 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 this, and rabble, rabble, rabble. And the, the final answer is, you're both wrong. You know, the, the way we should be doing things, there's a middle ground we all need to find, and there's a way to do things correctly, and you guys are both screwed up in what you're doing. So amid all the fart jokes and blood and gore and, you know, really, really bad words and very offensive racial 
uh, Asian stereotypes and accents. Aids really... <laughs> huh? There, we start off the movie with an with an entire musical number about AIDS. Oh yeah, so it's at least least the musical. Everyone's got AIDS, <laughs> AIDS, AIDS, AIDS. Uh, yeah, uh, the soundtrack. I don't, oh my god, the soundtrack. Uh, Freedom isn't free. It costs a hefty fee. Uh, it costs a buck oh five. Um, America, f yeah. <laughs> it's it's. It takes the whole political world and no matter what side you're on and turns it on its ear and says, you guys are all screwed up. Let's do things a different way. So uh, let's focus on the real bad guys because in this movie, the real bad guy is Kim Jong-il and the Hollywood elites trying to suck up to him and Team America trying to blow him up. And if you haven't seen it, go check it out, especially in this day and age with, with our political divides are so deep. Uh, it's nice to have a laugh at everyone's expense. Uh, to where no one's really being looked down on. It's like we're all in the same area. You know, this was such a great movie, and it came out at exactly the right time. And the great thing about it was you couldn't pigeonhole it. It's People wanted to say it was about George Bush and about Republicans and about imperialism. And yeah, there was a big part of the movie that was about that. And then there was a big part of the movie that was about a lot of other things. My, my favorite thing about this... Um, was uh, last year when the interview came out, uh, James Franco and Seth Rogen, and they shut down all of the screenings because uh, North Korea was was mad at it. And um, here in Austin, the Alamo Draft House said, anyone who bought a ticket for the interview, we're going to give you a free showing of Team America World Police instead. Um, so... You know that I think that just really knocks the the wind out of a lot of mm-hmm. people and a lot of things. And I love that it was just such a free for all. And on top of all of that, um, the biggest target of anything was an entire musical number devoted to how terrible Michael Bay was. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that movie's offensive. I love it. Um, <laughs> um, my movie that I picked is is equally offensive on on a different level, and it is uh, Undercover Brother, which oh, is. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> I I think this is a less well known movie. I think a a lot of people never saw this, um, but it was uh, this starred Eddie Griffin as the eponymous Undercover Brother, who is a a hero right out of seventies black exploitation movies. And it's almost like he was a black Austin powers. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that was the original idea behind a lot of this was if we could make a kind of a black Austin powers, although there were a series of uh, web shorts that this was based on. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this was, this was directed by Malcolm Lee, who is the younger brother of Spike Lee. Um, the, the apple, unfortunately, did not fall as close to the tree as we would have liked. It's it's okay, but, like, you could make a drinking game of how many times, like, the boom mic ends up, like, in the shot. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, like, bad filmmaking in here, but it's just, it's just terrible and awful. Anyway, so Undercover Brother is fighting against the man. Yes, there is a literal... <laughs> The man who lives on an island fortress and he's secretly trying to keep all of the black people down and keep the world safe for white people. Uh, he's aided by Mr. Feather, his underling, played by Chris Kattan in the only role I've ever liked Chris Kattan in. <laughs> um, and uh, and an evil henchman, uh, White She-Devil, played by Denise Richards. Um, who is Black Man's kryptonite sent out to take out Undercover Brother and get him to uh, to stray from the path. Um, Undercover Brother starts working with, uh, of course, there is a good side organization, the Brotherhood, uh, led uh, by Chi McBride, playing the Chief, mm-hmm. and uh, employing Dave Chappelle as Conspiracy Brother, who he gets high all the time and he's all paranoid. And so he comes up with conspiracies about uh, how the black man's trying to be kept down. Um, 
Sister Girl and Smart Brother, and of course their white intern Lance, played by Neil Patrick Harris, who's there because <laughs> of affirmative action. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, what? What can you say? Affirmative action. So, um, uh, what has happened is Billy D. Williams, uh, playing General Boutwell, has been kidnapped by the man, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. He was about to. Announce his run for the presidency. He's obviously supposed to be a Colin Powell type character, mm-hmm. and instead, the man gets him to open up a chain of chicken joints um, with <laughs> the most racially insensitive uh, advertisements ever. <laughs> it's just really <laughs> offensive, but uh, and you know. I, I I just watch it. I I won't even go into it because, like, I, I will get my liberal cards taken away for even talking about <laughs> how politically incorrect these things are. Um, it's just horribly funny, and the as part of this, um, they take undercover brother and they try to turn him white so he can go undercover at the at the corporation that the man uh, works at. And um, that becomes very funny where he's playing Anton Jackson instead of undercover brother. And uh, like, there's a great scene of him and Denise Richards singing uh, Ebony and Ivory at a karaoke bar. (laughs) (laughs) Awful. (laughs) This, this movie is just terrible, terrible top to bottom. uh, And just, awfully funny this is a movie that i could turn on anytime and it'll make me laugh and i feel a little guilty about that but knowing that it's it's people kind of making fun of themselves as much as anything and under like it's like we're taking the stereotypes and we're taking them back um like it it makes it okay there was a lot of what ended up being in the Chappelle show Mm-hmm. In here, even though Dave Chappelle was just an actor here, he didn't he didn't have anything to do with the script. But it's that that same kind of self aware humor that it is very racial, and we understand that, and we're intentionally pushing buttons. Um, but a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, I I have not seen this movie, and you know I think I saw it in theaters, and that would have been the last time I saw it. Um, but yeah, just you're you're bringing back some really funny memories. I definitely want to go check it out, and I just double checked, and Netflix doesn't have it, so I'm gonna have to go buy it. No, um, it does not, and I don't think it's come out on Blu-ray. I think you can. Only I think it's just it. DVD. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's. I just remember st- stupid moment. It was. It's a. It's a stupid comedy, but it also has the sensibility, like you said, like the the racial sensitivities and kind of blowing them out of the water and poking a stick at you know you you know poke a stick at the you know, things that kind of need to be said sometimes. Because I guarantee you, there's some white dude in, like, southern Alabama who, who's got an antenna, it's all he has in his trailer park, watching this movie and thinking it's a documentary. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> there's, yeah, like, the at the end, doesn't he, uh, doesn't he, like, kill Chris Kattan with his fro picks or something like that? I remember... Yeah. Yeah, he... Oh, he throws him and he falls in the water and gets eaten by a shark or something like horrible. Yeah, it's... It's it's stupid. It's funny. So if you like dumb comedies, you'll have a lot of fun with this. Um, but yeah, you're you're reminding me of all the great things I loved about it. So I, I definitely need to go check it out again. One of the things I loved the best about going to see this movie in the theater was that living in Provo at the time, my wife and I could like walk into any screening anytime ever and never have to worry about whether it was going to be sold out or there being a line. And then like a few weeks later, we found ourselves in LA and we're like, well, let's go see Undercover Brother again. Totally different experience. <laughs> yeah. So it actually, it, it reminds me to talk about seeing a movie, a funny movie with a theater with no people in it. Uh, Zoolander just turned 15 to or 14 uh, to oh this year. Gosh. And I, I remember that because it was the first movie had the worst. It came out after 9-11. And no one was really in the mood to go to a movie theater and, and laugh. But I, I was just, you know, we're not going to go into a whole 9-11 spiel. But I was tired of being upset and sad. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to go see something funny. And I, I think my friend and I, we were the only two people in that theater. Laughed uproariously and loved it. And it, it's great that it's kind of taken on a cult following now. Um, 
but yeah, just when you said sit in a theater and no one's there, just it reminded me of uh, the first time I saw Zoolander. Cause, oh, the worst release schedule you could ever possibly have for a movie. Yeah, and but luckily it's. I mean, we're getting a sequel fifty yeah. years later, but we're getting a sequel. Um, I don't know how I feel about that, but um, it I, that movie was great. Oh, the David Duchovny uh, hand model cameo was so great. That's just that was the best. Oh, oh yeah. Well, we'll see how the new one is, but yeah, it's so yeah. So check out Undercover Brother. Uh, go look for Team America World Police. Uh, there's an unrated and a rated version of it. The unrated one, uh, they just there, there actually is a sex scene with the puppets, and it just makes it more of a scene. <laughs> so, yeah, go with the go with the unrated one if you get a chance. Uh, that's probably the only one actually out there. And before we go, we do have a couple of recommendations. Uh, really quickly, like we said, Mad Max is probably our favorite movie of the year so far. Mm-hmm. If you didn't get a chance to see it or you wanted to go see it again. Uh, for this week only, it's in IMAX again. So it just came out on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, but if you didn't get a chance to see it on a big screen like that, like I didn't, I saw it in a normal-sized theater, so I'm excited to go see it again. Um, but yeah, Mad Max in IMAX for one week only. Uh, also, stay tuned to the very, very end for Andy's re- uh, interview with Lisa Leslie Headland, excuse me. And lastly, we got Salt Lake Comic Con coming up in less than two weeks now. I can't believe it's Yay. almost here. Yay! And yours truly actually will be on a couple panels. So if you get a chance to check them out, uh, I'm going to be on the Video Game Addicts of the 80s and 90s, uh, Remix, Love Em or Hate Em, The Future of Video Gaming, and finally the LGBTQAI Moving Forward and Pop Culture panel. So if you are in Salt Lake coming to visit, I'd love to see you there. Be sure to say hi. And yeah, that's all we got for this week. Next week we've got uh, The Scorch Trials, which I mistakenly thought was this Friday. It's next week the sequel to Maze Runner. Everest, the Jake Gyllenhaal gets stuck in a storm movie, which also you should see in IMAX. Uh, and we mentioned before, Black Mass, which is the Whitey Bulger story starring Johnny Depp. So that's it for us. Uh, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Punk ass tripping, but it's all right. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly. Punk ass Hi, Leslie. Hi. Great to talk to you. Thank you. you. I am uh, wonderful. Um, Just just seeing your film, I am very, very, very happy. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, Just had a wonderful time watching Sleeping with Other People and uh, just absolutely, absolutely blown away by this. First of all, Thank you, <laughs> not only for this film, but uh, you were a writer on Terriers. Is that right? Yes, yes, that was my first night. That was my first job. That, that was, was that's one of the best written TV shows of the last ten years. I absolutely love that show. I know, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it? I know. And, I know. And, I know that was on that show, like you know, Tim Minear and Ted Griffin and um, and Sean Ryan. I mean, like uh, not to mention that like my episode was directed by Ryan Johnson. Like I got to work with Donald Logue, who's like basically one of my favorite actors and like it was just crazy like it was really like you know it was a little bit like between that and working for Harvey Weinstein like I'm basically can die a happy girl it's just that I now also get to make movies which is pretty awesome (laughs) I know and and the entire world is in front of you and so we expect great (laughs) things from you you know no no pressure thank you no pressure and also thank you (laughs) thank you for in sleeping with other people using my favorite David Bowie song and making me love it even more. <laughs> You're so welcome. Yeah. You're so, so welcome. Well, you know, Leo, Leo is correct. And, and Noah Baumbach also used it to incredible. Sure. Incredible, well, uh, but they plan, didn't, you know, so, but I, sure. But they didn't have a, uh, a half naked, uh, Alison <laughs> Brie, um, dancing to it. So, Thank exactly. You. Exactly. <laughs> so, what? what You're in, welcome. Yeah. What inspired you to make this? I had a really good uh, guy friend, um, and we were both going through uh, very severe depressions at the same time. <laughs> you know, is the best way to put it. You know, like we had met on a project, and you know, we'd never there was no sexual tension or anything like that. You know, like but we always would go out for like brunch and we'd like stay up all night smoking and 
you know, we go to the we go to the park and like hang out there. And um, one of our favorite things to do was make fun of couples. Like we do like <laughs> so funny now that I think about it so long ago. But like you know, like we would joke like you know, look at these people they're kicking the relay out for a walk. You know, they're giving the relay some sun and. You know, it was just very much that, like, Annie Hall scene of them watching couples in the park. Like, that was sort of our thing together. And it just occurred to me one day, I was just like, oh, my God, we look like a couple. Like, you know, I was like, it just, for some reason, it just, I know it seems so simple, but it just hit me. I was like, oh, my God, like, we we are a couple, but we're not. And it's really complicated and strange and it's not as simple as like boy meets girl, girl fix orgasm, boy girl end up together, you know. <laughs> and so I thought, I just thought I would explore it, and it ended up being this movie, you know. Like I wrote it pretty quickly, like over a summer, and then, um, you know, I met Jason I think uh socially, and we just got along really well. And um, you know, once I finished the script, I sent it to him, and I said. You know, I'd really, you know, love to work with you, and I'd love to work with you specifically on this, and um, and then it just sort of took off from from there. <laughs> That's great. How how did you put the rest of the cast together? Well, Allie was Allie was the next person, and that was, you know, I'm a really really big Community fan. Like, you know, my 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 sister and I, our big joke is, you know, Community isn't going to rewatch itself. You know, <laughs> it's like we just, I've literally seen it all of the students probably three times now. Um, and so Allie was somebody that was always on my radar, somebody that I wanted to work with. Um, but, you know, this is, you know, even though it feels big and, you know, we should it in New York and, you know, we have these, you know, fun people in it. It is an independent film, you know. We did make it for a, a, a small amount, a, you know, comparatively small amount of money. And, you know, we shot it in under a month. And, you know, like uh, part of getting a money for your film is who you cast. And, uh, you know, so Allie was kind enough to come in and put herself on tape um, for our producers and financiers. And when she came in and they started talking with each other, it was like, it was just like, it was like music, you know, like it was just so incredible. I just had never, it was, it was really astounding to see my work come to life that way. It was better than what I had written. It was so much better than what I had written. And, um, um, and uh, I just am so grateful that she was willing to come in. You know, she really responded to the script and that she was willing to come in and, and do that, you know, and, and basically have that exercise because it meant the world to, um, you know, getting the movie going, you know, because once everybody saw that, they were just like, oh, my God, you know, they're just like a match made in heaven. And then um, rounding out the rest of the cast were just people either that I knew, like Ben Lucas I knew, um, Leona knew, um, uh, and and people that I just really were desperate to work with. I, I saw Adam Brody and my friend uh, Susanna Fogel's film Life Partners, and I was just dying to work with him. And I didn't have really like a part for him in this movie, but I was like, do you think I asked Susanna? I was like, do you think he'd be willing to come in and do one one scene? You know, that day we improv so much. Like that scene on the page is so devastating, and like what they came up with both Allie and Adam was like out of control. Incredible. Like it was just like it just it was it was a really really like magical night when we did that. That's awesome. Oh, was there a story behind Mark Blucas or? Oh, just that I'm I I love Buffy. <laughs> I figured, but I I couldn't assume, so I had. That. There's a really big Buffy there, you know. Yeah. Like I mean, like you should, you know, like um, you know, Tim Minear, you know, like who was on Angel for like a thousand years and Firefly and um and uh, and uh, Dollhouse and you know worked on Interior and he's like literally like my my riding power animal like <laughs> um so anyway so it it all it all stems from like a huge fangirl sort of you know place and that's the thing is that ultimately I'm a fan and a nerd and that's where a lot of my you know creative decisions come from it's from that well i as a as a huge fanboy myself i i felt that passion and uh that that oh, rang good. very true so, yeah so that that was excellent what is your favorite R-rated comedy or R-rated comedy moment? Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. I mean, I probably, and I'm not just saying this because they produced my films, but like I would have to say that like all of Anchorman is pretty unbelievable. Like not only for a film that's so quotable and so funny, but like it's also a film that's like about feminism. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, 
like if you watch it, you know, if you sort of watch it without like knowing it by heart the way that I do, you know, like when it comes on or when I put it on at home, like I'm just like, wow, this is just all about sexism and it's all about feminism and it's all about, you know, this very, you know, exploiting this like sort of boys club of comedy and, and, um, and that's the same trend making fun of it. Um, so I, I would have to say that like off the top, that's probably my, that's probably up there in like my top three of the already comedy for sure. Absolutely. Last question. So Mel Brooks said last week that he didn't think that Blazing Saddles could be made today, that we've become too politically correct. Uh, movies like Yours, Trainwreck, Vacation, uh, The Overnighters, um, there there have been a lot of great uh, R-rated comedies this summer. Do you think Mel Brooks is right? Uh, there There are things we can't touch. Or do you think we're still pushing boundaries and that you could you could make anything you wanted to? Oh my gosh. Well, you know I think the man that married Anne Bancroft like could never be wrong, you know what I mean? Like I uh. think he's probably always um <laughs> you know, like in so many ways. Like I think, you know, I do think he's I do think he's like, you know, probably like, you know, comedy sort of begins and ends with with, you know, the producers and um, not to mention that I just, you know, his relationship, you know, like he and Anna, like my relationship holds. But I would say that I don't think that there's, I would say the thing that came to mind when you were said, I didn't know that, but like, you you know, that that when you you were saying that is is that um, I just don't know if, if as a culture we find the same thing funny. Does that make sense? Like, it's Absolutely. like, I think that, 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 that what we, you know, what comedians are satirizing now, um, are, are actually very different, um, as opposed to like, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, race or political or, um, uh, um, you know, it's like in a weird way, it's like we're a little bit more in a world of like a comedy of manners, um, a little bit more like, you know, the sort of, um, you know, like the like the 40s, 50s kind of, you, you know what I mean? Like there's still, you know, like there's a screwball element to a lot of what people do, but like it isn't quite about as much of a shock value as much as it's about, you know, sort of meditating on the things that we just accept, the things that we just are like, oh, you know, women are this way, men are this way, um, the way that men and women interact is this way, you know, and I guess I'm speaking sort of generally about the romantic comedy as opposed to comedy in general only because that's what I just did, you know, like, but, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, that he's, you know, I wouldn't say that I didn't come under a lot of fire. Like there there was a lot of criticism of the film that was like, you know, ripping a girl's wedding dress is not funny. You know, women behaving this way is not funny. Um, you know, uh, and I guess my, my feeling is like, you know, you know, sort of the 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 moral of that film, which is like everyone, you know what I mean? Like just speak your truth, you know? And um and I think people laugh out of repetition more often than they do out of derision. You know, like I think that they that people laugh because they get it, because they go, Oh, I get that. I feel that way. You know. Um so I think if you're telling your truth and you're and you're um you're pushing forward, there isn't something that you quote unquote can't say. Um, so that's like a really long winded answer to your question, but hopefully there's something in there that's no, <laughs> helpful I, or like actually address I, the issue. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you, you got right to it. Thank you so very much. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome, Andy. Thanks for having me on. It's yep. Really really awesome. Thank you. I'm glad you liked the movie. Yeah, we we look forward to your next work. Uh, with high anticipation. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, thanks so much. Okay, thanks.